Welcome to the Cyber Show. I'm Cherry Sigmund, your host, Cybersecurity Authority, consultant, and entrepreneur. We have a very special guest for you this evening, Ms. Dawn McCarty, who is an information security engineer who will be joining us to tell her story and what she's up to on the business backyard business banter segment of the show. So we cover four things. First is a cybersecurity tip of the day. The second is a cyberspace toolkit recommendation. Third is a fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or FUD buster. And then we dive into the backyard business banter. So start, start with one number one, let's go. Here we go. Cybersecurity cyber tip of the day has to do with uh, your favorite uh, platform, Zoom, and a list of, actually it's, it's a, com a combination of the security tip of the day and the cyberspace toolkit recommendation. And so I can afford Dawn a little more time because she has a lot to share with you today. I'm gonna combine number one and number two and just make an executive decision on the fly. So if you email this one address, you'll get both the cybersecurity tip and the cyberspace toolkit recommendation of the day because it's not just about Zoom and all the other platforms that are out there for collaboration and sharing right now. Uh, just recently, the National Security NSA, the, uh, the National Security Agency, the NSA in the United States, has done some research on um, the different types of tools and different security measures, and they have a chart that has been publicly released. It's an unclassified public domain, and it has a long list of security questions to ask yourself that you want to know before you use one of these platforms, and then it has a chart that assesses where each of the platforms are in response to those questions. So that's something that obviously would take about 30 minutes to explain one by one and without the visual, uh, visual aid of the chart. It's just something that's better for you to get by email. So the cybersecurity tip and the toolkit recommendation, you'll get both of those if you email jitsec at gmail.com. That's John India Tango, Sierra Echo Charlie at gmail.com, jitsec at gmail.com. So moving on into number three. Section three is our FUD buster, a fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I'll say simply to you, if you have concerns about your career or what the future looks like for you, whatever financial picture might be, the best advice I can give you is to scale up, to level up. And that's what I've been doing a lot of in doing training and personal development during the slower times during the, the pandemic. And uh, that's actually how I met uh, Dawn initially was through our business coach, JT Fox, was I was scaling up and doing some things and some coaching. And then Dawn was introduced as a new family member to the community. And she started doing some coaching also with JT Fox. So he introduced us and we connected. And that leads me to part four, the backyard business banter. And I will turn it over to you, Dawn. Again, Dawn McCarty is an information security engineer. She's with a major healthcare provider, a major healthcare company in the Fortune 50. Actually, near the top of the Fortune 50. And uh, take it away. Tell us well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here with you tonight. So where should we start? Where do you want me to start? Where I started? Yes, please. Where you started. Okay. So I started um, over a decade ago, actually, and I was a stay-at-home mom. And after my youngest son was born, I decided I needed to get back into the workforce. And before I left, I was still working in the DOS section. So, you know, when you had to use the keyboard to actually maneuver around so I decided I was going to do medical billing and I was going to work at home and I was going to be there with my kids and I ordered a computer and I pulled out this thing with the big long cord attached to it and I'm thinking what is this and it was actually a mouse so I had to totally relearn everything that I thought I knew about computers and so I, I enrolled in school and I decided I was going to go learn how to use a computer because the guy that I bought the computer from wasn't too happy with me. So <laughs> I decided I needed to learn how to do it myself. So I went and put myself through school 
and started working as a network engineer right off the bat. And I'm making cables and cords and stuff like that for major organizations down here in Florida and running the, running the lines. And it was really interesting. And fast forward, you know, 20 years, 20 some odd years, and I'm still working in IT in the security sector. And it's been, it's been a really good um, career for me to raise my children and they, you know, have everything that they have needed. And now that they're adults, I'm setting off to find new passions to, to add to my, you know, my achievements, <laughs> which are my kids. So here I am. Now I'm in cybersecurity. You're in cybersecurity. So it's great to meet other, other people in this industry and collaborate, brainstorm with what, what we can solve with the problems going forward. And especially in the time and, you know, the age today where we're all at home and there's a whole nother set of security issues and data issues and how are we protecting it at home? We're used to, you know, work protecting it. You walk through the doors and you have the shield around you, right? And you're protected, but now you're doing it at home. So how are we protecting our data is, you know, sort of what I focus on, on my day, you know, during my day job is keeping that protected no matter where you are in the world. And with the, with the, so many people working remotely now, all of a sudden with the pandemic and a lot of like a lot of people scrambling to get those capabilities and that capacity up, I'm sure there are a lot of, a lot of steps that might've been missed had it gone through the normal accreditation Absolutely. process. So we have a, a much more massive exposure along with the exposure from mm -hmm. the, you know, the last mile of the telcos. Because you have, you know, you have your yeah. corporate infrastructure, but then you have so many people working from home and so many different telephone companies, and then they're responsible, you know, if you have the last mile, so you don't know about mm -hmm. the security of that, just as an example. So how things are configured, how people have things set up, who they're sharing their home computers with, are the kids getting on playing games? And we can go down the yeah. whole about games with the Face app and the TikTok and all the, you know, the other uh, <clears throat> social media apps and the, 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 yep. the type of fun things to do that might be not so good from a data protection standpoint, but uh, that's a whole other the section a little bit later but i like our conversation earlier when we we're brainstorming and collaborating about different things uh, that you can talk and teach about in terms of uh, cybersecurity and specifically data protection and your expertise in identity because i heard you say you've done a lot with identity access and management mm -hmm. uh, and then as well with identity theft and expert witness and forensics so do you want to speak to that a little bit about that part of the conversation yeah. Yeah, so I, I most of my background was in identity and access management and and trying to make sure that nobody had access that didn't need access and going through that role-based access control model and trying to teach organizations how to use it, how to implement it. And I actually went through a whole process of setting up a you know a new file structure based on role-based because it's easy to implement something new, but it's hard to go back and implement it in things that are already done. And that's exactly. a pet peeve of mine. I, I really hate it when, I shouldn't say the word hate it, or I shouldn't say hate it, but I, I dislike when you bring in something new, you don't make sure that you make it, that it's compatible for one thing, or that you can retroactively implement it. Right. So, you know, and then you end up with these security risks. So that's what I kind of dug into, and I started digging up cans of worms, and I kind of got the nickname of, you know, the cleaner or the raptor, or, you know, a couple different nicknames. <laughs> so quite possibly the fixer. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it became a job of problem solving and, you know, I have a knack of running into things 
totally by mistake. I don't mean to, <laughs> but I do. I end up finding problems and then I'm usually the one that has to find the solution for it. So that's not always easy, but it has definitely been rewarding to find some pretty big solutions, especially in the, in the areas that I've worked in. I've worked for three letter, um, acronym kind of organizations. Right, right. I work for federal um, organizations, federal government. I've worked for major corporations and working for a major healthcare corporation. And I see the same problems in all areas. And yeah, it have, just kind of, yeah. it doesn't get resolved. So we have a lot in common there too, both in the public and the private sector with the federal government and the three letter agencies and now the Fortune 50, Fortune 500, Global 500. So I think there's yeah. a lot of a uh, lot of um, a lot of touch points there that we could talk about and collaborate on. I think that's why JT introduced us and I'm glad he did. So in terms of identity and not just identity and access management, but identity protection is uh, what you might be offering here in the near future. You have a lot of experience and things related to identity. And we were talking along the, the taglines for you might have a future show here on Millionaire Flakes, something, uh, you know, working title. Can I, can I disclose the working title? I mean, we haven't sure. anything on that yet. Okay. And so, so generally the working title for Dawn's new show will be The Fixer. And it'll have <laughs> subcategories that will be, you know, fleshed out later, but she will be, the, fi the show will be The Fixer. And underneath that are different categories of things related to cybersecurity or business or even family type things. So she has a lot of content and um, really good experience related to solving family problems. Yeah. And which probably go into on, on your show a little bit later, but um, the, that's the working title, the fixer. You can let us know feedback on that, and uh, also the tag, the working title, the tag, the, the, the about the data and the identity. Is that okay to share too? Sure, okay. go for it. This is what you do. You, you, you always, even if you had a previous conversation, and because this is being recorded and shared publicly, you always, when you're dealing with data or somebody's idea of intellectual property. You always want to ask permission and never just assume that it's okay. That's just the courteous thing to do, the professional courtesy. And anytime you're dealing with colleagues, prospects, or clients, you always want to be very conscious, conscious about and sensitive to the fact that it's their data. Just because they signed a disclosure or maybe, you know, in terms and conditions, just as a blanket statement, and half, people, half the time people don't even read those. Always when it's something that has to do with their data and especially intellectual property, always make sure you give them the courtesy of asking permission. So that's just a a teaching point as we go through mm -hmm. this. So we also want to show you the process of how people can collaborate versus competing and how uh, teaching points can be things that you do and don't do just in business in general. So mm -hmm. if you if you have a person you're, you're collaborating with or a partner, always don't assume that if you're, if you're sharing something publicly that just because you talked about it privately that it's okay. Because once you put it out there in the world, as you know, you can't take it back. And we don't want anybody to steal your ideas. Right. So that's right. about that. But if it's okay to share the, the, the tagline, I'll also share that. Yes. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. So we're talking about how the data is the new oil, and that's common in our profession of cybersecurity, especially with large corporations and companies, both public and private organizations, because there's so much data flowing around the world. I mean, the world thrives on data, data, marketing of data, mining of data, management of data. It's all about the data. So a common phrase that we often hear and use is, quote, data is the new oil. So... Based on that, we were just brainstorming and, and talking back and forth and said, well, data is the new oil and you're, you're specializing in identity. How about if data is the new oil, data is the new oil, identity is the new gold and see how that resonates with you and how that lands with you. And I think, I think that has some, some, uh, you know, some, some merit worth exploring there. So what do you think? I think so. Data is the new oil, 
identity is the new gold. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yes. And, you know, identity is actually a very important thing. It's something that we all deal with on a daily basis in all different kinds of aspects. So when you think about identity management, most of the time we're talking about IT. We're talking about how people can access or authenticate into certain systems, right? Then we have um, identity, like you were just talking about the IP. So intellectual property is something that you branded or you created. So it's part of your identity, right? So th these are things that, you know, you don't, they're not tangible, but you kind of own them because you created them. And, you know, like anything, it's, it's, you, you create it, you raise it, you, you, you want to set it off into being something that is sustainable on its own and secure. So we have that, and that's in data in general as well. So not just intellectual property. We're talking about private healthcare information. We're talking about personal identifiable information. We're talking about payment card industry information. We're talking about all kinds of things that we need to protect because those are our identity. You know, our, our credit cards, it's a piece of plastic, but it's who we are. It's something that we have that we use in our day-to-day you know, life and all things kind of come back to identity. And there's also the forensic side. So I also do forensic document examination and I am a forensic um, handwriting expert and I've trained law enforcement officers how to use handwriting in their interrogations or their interviews so that they can kind of get an idea of what's really going on and who's telling you know, the truth, who might be lying, because, you know, it's not an exact science. But we follow the ASTM standards, so there is a science behind the authentication side of it for the document mm -hmm. examination. And again, it's identity. So who signed that will? Was it forged? Mm -hmm. So I go in and I evaluate it, I examine it, and I use my, my little forensic tools, and I determine whether or not I believe if the right person authored that same document or if they're the same as the other document. And then of course you could go into a, a expert witness um, mm -hmm. if needed. Hopefully we don't ever get to that because yeah, I've never yeah, had court. to go to court yeah. yet. Yeah. That takes up a lot of your, that takes up a lot of your, <laughs> Nope, Actually, you know, I have to wean your dogs. Don't worry about it. They're used to have, everybody's they heard me knock on wood and now they think someone's here. <laughs> You can't wait across the back. I have the dogs barking. It's okay. Everybody's used to it. It's part of the new normal. Good. We're all working from home, and then we're, we're doing hey. this for free. So, and, you know, you, you can't complain, right? We're, we're giving right. you Right. Hey, so, you know, we're real. We're authentic. We're real human beings, and we're we, just, have we're, we have dogs. We have, we have lives, and the things going on in the background. So so apologize for the dogs always. And so far, my, my wiener dogs have been quiet. But I think people are accustomed to this now. And, again, it's, it's not like they're paying us our normal consulting fees, right? So, mm -hmm. So back to the identity thing, you know, this was something as we were collaborating, you really kind of pulled some of this out, which was really, you know, like the additional breakthrough. So JT gave me a, a you know, couple ideas to work with and I've been mulling them over. And then with that talking to you, we actually broke through a little bit further and, and you know, expanded on that. And I think it's, it's, you know, some really good information, really good, exciting things I think can come out of this, but identity also goes back to, you know, who you are as a person and where does that start? So there's also a, in the family realm that you mentioned, yeah. as children, we grow up into an, you know, a person, you know, somebody, that's your identity. And sometimes that's interrupted. You know, sometimes that family bond is obstructed. 
and it does form somewhat of an identity type crisis. So this is how the family side comes into it. So I didn't realize it until you said it, that everything I do is revolves around identity. It really does. Everything I do. So that was really kind of a light bulb. <laughs> that it was, was an immediate download. I mean, it just came to me and I was listening carefully for what you were saying. And I, wait a minute. And I'll let you finish what you're talking about. And then I just, I pause, I listen, I absorbed. And then I said, wait a minute. And I, I'll let you finish again. And I said, do you realize that you're talking about identity again? I think that might be a pattern in your life. Is that true? <laughs> and it is. And I think, I'm a serial identity person. <laughs> serial identity entrepreneur. Yeah. But I think there's a lot there because it, it speaks to your core skills and your passions. And from your early childhood to your adulthood to your the transition from what you're doing to, you know, from one profession and deep diving into the other, and it goes deep vertical with you. So, I mean, it's really a deep vertical uh, approach. And, and then mm -hmm. now with the, the cybersecurity side and identity protection, identity theft, identity management, I mean, all of that, there's so much you could do with that. And what you just mentioned here, Dawn, about the, um, the signature analysis and the uh, working with law enforcement officers with the LEOs and even lawyers, I mean, there's so much you could do there, whether, whether it's reviewing wills. I mean, I can only imagine right now that there'll probably be a lot of, legal documents being updated from the medical side, whether it's, you know, people's last wishes, whether it's their will, last will and testament, excuse me, whether it's their last will and testament, whether it's their DNR or do not resuscitate, whether it's their living will, but all the like the medical documents and things that people are, are having to face right now during the pandemic is a very real world. Exactly. Having updating the documents. And I would imagine that the lawyer's offices are really fully engaged in that sort of thing with the paralegals and, you know, making sure that the, the signatures and the witnesses' signatures are not, you know, fake. I just, I think there's a little something yeah. here. You're going to be teaching people how to, you know, make sure that nobody's getting over on people. While you're going to have somebody who's sick and comes in and abuse that that privilege to, you know, be an undue influencer and that sort of thing. And the forensics skills you have are very valuable, valuable there because I know we talked about the medical space, but in the medical industry, but there's also something within the legal industry that's really possibly relevant right now. You might want to talk to. Um, JT about later, but it's, you know, it's something we're talking about and we're, yeah. even, even now we're doing the show, we're, we're on the cyber show, we're doing brainstorming. We're building. <laughs> Other things that could be of value because the idea is, is that where I'm coming from is I stand for the little guy and the little gal because I know that a lot of people are frustrated with small businesses uh, that with the PPP, the payroll protection program, a lot of the, like the big companies came in and swept up some of the money, you know, a lot of them with the lion's share of the money, a lot of smaller businesses didn't get in it and there was a big pushback and a lashback on that. Now, some of the, the major companies have, in turn, uh, returned that money or are supposed to return that money. I haven't heard that Potbelly has yet done that, but just as an example, it's often, even though small businesses are the backbone of a majority of a lot of the American right. economy, just in general, because we're in the United States, I'll speak to the U.S., even though this is a global audience, but just an ex as an example, within the United States, that's, that's kind of what we have. So, you know, there, there's something there <laughs> in terms of, being, being the people who are doing things for small businesses that will enable them and not take advantage of them when all, you know, everybody seems to be looking out for the big guy. The big companies get the bailout, mm -hmm. they get the payroll money, and all that. And I think the second round is actually going better for small businesses. So when I saw that, I decided that I was going to branch out more and stand for small businesses and offer cybersecurity consulting at small business prices. And that's like, like insanely ridiculous low fees for consulting but it helps get them on the right path, including a free yeah. self-assessment checklist. This, you know, just a, just a way to have them, here's something you can have, take a look at it and see whether you even mm -hmm. want to pursue this or not. And then from there, dive into other things. So that's how I was approaching this. And I, you know, suggest you might want to explore that and depending on where you want to focus yeah. your energies and, and time outside your nine to five um, 
you know, it's, it's just an option because it's like the world's your oyster. There's so much you can do. And there's a, you know, a long-term yeah. critical needs of people who do what we do for for professions. So I think last, uh, last estimate was somewhere around the ballpark figure round number of 1.5 million um, globally. Uh, but you know, that we're you know, short of, that we're short of, and we're short know. of, and that was a 2019 number. So, 2019 number, yeah. you know, we've grown since then in, in the need. So I'm sure that number has, you know, it's, it's got to be more than that, really, because I really don't think that 1.5 million would, I think it would be able to, to sustain, but it wouldn't be able to do more than that. It, it would still be at capacity. So that, we definitely need any more skilled, skilled workers. In it. And that's mainly for jobs, uh, corporations. And it's, it's, I don't believe the numbers really count all the all the small businesses. It, they they make out some, but I think I'm not sure what the market cap is on that. But I don't think so. And you know, yeah, the small businesses are oh, left really, out. They're really important because you know that's who we go see all the time. We see more small businesses in our day than we do the corporations. You that's know, if true. you go to a bank, that's fine. But then you know, where do you go for lunch? Or you know, who who are you dealing with? Even your friends and neighbors are you know they could be small businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's your community, your tight knit community. And oh, a lot of my neighbors have been paying attention to them and their data. Then, you know, if we can't just protect data at the top level, right. we got to, we got to also teach from the bottom up as well. The top level should be the examples and they should be protecting us. We need to help small businesses and the average users because a lot of average users, for example, zoom yeah. for, you know, as I think is a good example where there's a lot of problems with that came into that, right? Yeah. But make sure I locked the meeting. Okay, I double checked. We locked the meeting. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and okay. you didn't reuse this password on the last meeting, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, and that's the thing is people don't realize that you know they have a meeting ID and they have a password that's auto-generated, and so they just keep sending that same invitation out over and over. So some, and I even know a couple people that have been using that same meeting invite for over a year or for however long they've used Zoom. And some of them have been using them for a pretty long time. Yeah. And that means that for however length of time that you've used Zoom, that's how many people have access to your meeting room with your password. And if you've never changed it, it and I see people posting it on Facebook all the time, we're having a Zoom meeting at such and such a time, and I can view you because it's set to public. So if I can view it, anybody in the world can view it, and therefore, they can come and join your meeting. And it's that's the Zoom kind of bombing. Mm -hmm. It's Zoom bombing. Yeah. Zoom bombing. So Good we bombing. need to teach the average users as well. And, you know, I think that that helps. And, you know, we, we need to focus on data in general, not just data that the organizations collect and gather from us, because we so freely give it out. We, you know, they say, give me your phone number, you know, hey, if you want this article, I'll give it to you. Just give me your email address, your phone number, your date of birth, whatever. I need to make right. sure you're old enough to read my article that I wrote. You know, all kinds of reasons why they ask for this personal information, right? They don't know who you are. They don't know how old you are. You don't realize where that is going. Where are they storing it? How are they protecting it? Exactly. And what's the cloud? <laughs> <laughs> the cloud is, our favorite saying is, somebody else's computer. <laughs> Exactly. Somebody else's, yeah, somebody, somebody else has a control over that. Yeah. And we, we think, okay, well, you know, they'll protect it, but it's really our job, our personal job to protect our own data. Yeah. And do our own due diligence. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and for example, some of the, uh, you know, the games you'll see on, uh, just not, not to pick on any specific social media site, but just games in general float around different social media platforms. And, 
you know, so even even some of my relatives, the younger relatives, used to send me you know, these little things to play the games. And I'm like, sorry, sorry, I'm a security professional. I'm not gonna play the game. I love you. You're my family member, but I don't play these little games because of security risk they pose. And and the and the it's just the, the risk factor there, as long as as well as the things with you know the China-based companies, whether it's TikTok or FaceApp. You know, FaceApp. So so, so many people uh, on Facebook specifically using the FaceApp. Is that the one that enhances the look? Yes, and Chinese intelligence is basically building profiles on people, and you know, and yeah, going after <laughs> dossier. So now they have your face, and with with the future of, I mean, everything being so connected, the Internet of Things. I mean, I mean, it's, their capabilities are really, really, um, yeah, really, really astute, and they they're very. So I used one of those apps one time. I thought, oh, I'm not posting any pictures unless it's enhanced. So I actually said, oh, look, I could use this, and I did, and I posted it up there, and I'm thinking, how do they do that? <laughs> so I started looking into it and then I'm realizing, oh, this is something nobody should do. No, this yeah. is bad. This is bad. Don't do that. So I was like, stop playing these games. Don't play the name game. Don't play the, what is it? Oh, something. Oh, whatever. Yeah. These are, these are collection things. Yeah, they're data collectors. They're data collectors. It, yeah. yeah. It's basically a survey, right? They're asking you a little survey for a bit of your information. Oh, I mean, I, I don't do any surveys. It's like, yeah, even even in the profession, I get a lot of uh, requests to do sur- surveys, salary surveys, or topic surveys, mm-hmm. and even though I know where they might be coming from, I just I, I still don't because I only give my personal data out where I have to and where I want to, unless it's for the government. Now that's a whole yeah. other story. It seems like since we both work for the federal government and we had security clearances, and uh, I won't, won't speak to what we have now, but anybody who has a security clearance definitely shouldn't use TikTok or FaceApp on a regular basis exactly. that, as a as a as a counterintelligence risk, but Specifically, uh, they recommend that people with clearances be really careful about your social media profiles. Even something I use often is LinkedIn, and don't mention that you have a clearance on there. You might, there's a certain thing you can say, but people, I mean, nation states, the bad actors and hackers, they go through and they scrape all this publicly available information on social media and, and round up that profile. Mm-hmm. Now, to segue into what we were both victim to, that we have no control over. That was the massive uh, OPM data breach. Uh, I've right. actually been uh, one of the people that gets the letters about many, many data breaches, whether it's a credit card or from you know, Target or, you know, American Express, yeah. all a lot of these things. But the biggest one for people in the federal government or, you know, whether it's a defense contractor or energy, con- whoever the com- company might be, anybody who's had any security clearance in the company had to, and the government had to fill out a form, uh, a standard form 86. And through a tool, and the tool name doesn't really matter, but it's a tool that everybody uses, and that particular database was hosted off-site, not on the OPM server, but they weren't managing the security controls uh, well on whoever was hosting that. So it was just a major cluster, okay? It was a major mess. And yes, it was. Millions of people who have ever supported the government, been in the military, supported the federal government, been a federal contractor, had all their personal data. Hacked uh, by APT1. Crazy, and it also involves not just our data, but our friends, like your ex-boyfriend, you know, husband, you know, your children, your parents. Parents, it's 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 very vast because when the government does an investigation on you, it's very thorough, depending on the level you have. Yes, and and you know, ten years or more, five years, or more, it just depends. And they they do them recurrently every year, you know, every few years. So there's a sequence there. So it's old information, and it's also fresh information. So. That intelligence agency got a treasure trove of information on 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 us, and there's nothing we can do about it. So we we kind of we were and I were joking. It's not really something to joke about because it's painful, but it's like, well, we're already screwed. So you know, it could you know, some degree of risk. 
Well, and you know, they got, they got our fingerprints on this one too. So that was something that, you know, and I've joked about it and it it really isn't something to joke about, but the seriousness of it is, is that I no longer own the only set of fingerprints. So, you know, that's something to consider too. How are we protecting that data? That's biometric. So how are we protecting that now? How am I going to be totally sure that my fingerprints are not being used somewhere else. You know, I can't, neither one of us can. It's really a crazy new world. Yeah. But that, that was a massive thing. The the office of personnel management, OPM data breach was a really big one for all the security clearance data, the fingerprints, the the potential for, you know, fake biometrics. I mean, I mean, our politicians have to deal with fake news. We have to deal with fake, fake identities. Yeah. And not just, you know, uh, you know, identity theft in terms of, you know, yeah. Credit. So I started, I started something after that and I, I took it to my employer then and I, I started with the top three security breaches and one of them was OPM and I said, this is why I need you to listen to, you know, you hire me to be this expert, right? So let me be the expert. When I bring suggestions and I worked with another guy on this too and when, when we make suggestions to the organization that hired us to do this job, we need organizations to be willing to take that expert advice and implement it at least one so we have a board of directors that wants to hear what we have to say but they're ultimately ultimately the ones that make that final decision right Uh so here we're saying to secure our security or to better secure our posture we need to implement this this or this we need to put a, a sim in or we need to have dlp or you know and these are acronyms and i don't need to explain them it's the the point is the story right is that when we go to our board of directors and they say, well, you know, that's going to cost 2 million, but I'll only be fined 125 million if there is a breach. So I'm going to accept the risk because I'd rather pay 125,000 rather than the 2 million. And that is not how we protect data. That's not how we should be protecting data. So the right thing to do is to spend the 2 million, figure out how to budget that, you know, and, and, implement something one if i give you five things just implement one of them at least so i feel that i was valued and i continue to work towards that but when Uh we're not listened to then we go back to our desk with our heads hanging down and we're like what's the point you know if we're gonna fight so hard to try and find solutions and then they're not implemented you know that's why we have a shortage that's one of the reasons why we have a shortage in professionals because we keep changing jobs. So it makes it look like we're filling jobs, but we're not really filling jobs. We're really kind of, we're, we're swapping. So this employer's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dangle the carrot and I'll offer them more money and I'll get them on my team. And so they move. And guess what? That person moved over there. And then that person goes and fills that position that you just left. We're just doing this constant shuffling of what already exists. We need more professionals to come in and actually start staying and organizations can help by you know taking in, in some of those suggestions and actually improving their posture I agree and actually have something to add to that it could be whether it also speaks to small business so if you're a small business owner or entrepreneur when you have something like that done take take that you know, for what it's worth and actually look at what can you afford now what what the what the trade-off is in the risk look at the whole risk management the whole framework there and then we'll plug in the formula and see you know, kind of how you want to handle that, but 
if you have a risk committee or a board of directors or advisory board, any type of uh, governance, risk, and compliance construct within your company, if you don't have one in your smaller business, you should have one. You should have a, a GRC, a governance, risk, and compliance uh, entity within your company, or at least a person who has that role, whether it's an additional job or their core job, to yep. uh, make sure you're covered with uh, compliance issues and spe specifically the privacy laws. And I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit with the, the California um, Consumer Privacy Act that came, came about the first of this year and the, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation for mm -hmm. Europe, European Union. Uh, there are two good examples that they were both familiar with. But you have, uh, you have liabilities out there. So there are things mm -hmm. where, you know, just like having disclaimers on your website of how you, the terms and conditions and how you're, the privacy statement and all of that, which you used used, who's using it, yeah. came about in the early 90s. You didn't see a lot of that. It was just the website and that was it. There wasn't, mm -hmm. there, were, there were no legal notices at the bottom, but you need to have those. I've seen some quote internet marketers selling templates for that, but I don't think they're security professionals. I think maybe they had some lawyer put a package together, but there's a whole lot of space there where it could be serving actually reviewing it from a legal mm -hmm. and a security perspective on the terms and conditions, the legal agreements, whether it's compliant with the California Consumer Privacy Act, GDPR, all of that, not just telling people what it's about, but reviewing it and see if it's accurate. And if they yeah. don't have everything done that they need to do, a small business owner or an entrepreneur needs to have some sort of governance, risk, and compliance function mm -hmm. to make sure that their company can't be fined or sued or basically lose, lose a lot of customer confidence and their, their reputation. Because when you have a brand, you want to specifically protect your reputation because once that's damaged, you know, it's not about just the Benjamins. Reputation. Right. More, more valuable than just that year's profit loss statement. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, that's one of the things I did at the, my current job now is we actually, I was one of the first members of the new governance team. It was my manager and myself. And I went and I started knocking on doors of other departments in security saying, we need a voting member. We need right. somebody that can be part of this team that can help us tweak policies because you know, you either enforce them or you, inf or you make the policies, but you don't do both, right? So we need someone, we have a policy department, they create those policies, this team implements them, and we enforce them. So we need to have a, a, somebody from each of these groups, and then there's, of course, there's a couple other groups too that we in include, and then you have different types. So data protection involves data in motion, which is sort of like your emails or something you're posting online. Then you have data at rest, which is documents or files that are sitting on your server or on your workstation. So what is just sitting there? And that's, that's something that we look at to see if there's any protected data in. So we have all these different groups that we need to include into our governance so that when we make a change to the policy or the configuration, it's not, my team can't make that decision, but neither should the team that implements it, right? So we have a voting member board that comes together and we talk about the issues. We decide what's going to be the best course of action. And then we have another level up above that where if we can't decide what we should do or if we think, okay, this is above our pay grade, we shouldn't be making this decision. But then we take it up to that board and then let them make the decision. But we had to put that in place. And it's not necessarily an automatic thing in a lot of corporations or small businesses. Yeah, so, so you have the separation of duties and you have this construct and executive level decisions, whether it's a risk committee, an executive committee, an advisory right. board or the board, and then even, even the, the teams of the meetings. I like that where you have the voting members and then the participating members. Exactly. And that sort of thing. 
you know, and I think that that's a great, another great segue into something we're talking about in terms of the records. It could just not be digital records that are already gone through digital transformation, but it could be something such as a, a medical office that has these old filing systems where the oh, cabinets yeah. physically expand and collapse and all the records are the big jackets are these thick cardboard files crammed in there. Do you want to tell us, share that little story? Yeah. Uh, so I go into, um, I was going to the chiropractor, so I'll show that much. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. So I walk into this chiropractor's office and the first thing I think of is holy beep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just could not believe what I saw. I saw the biggest wall of files that was behind the desk, but within 25 feet of the front door. Yeah. And it's from floor to ceiling. And I don't know how wide, but there's got to be 100,000 files there easily, if not more, because, you know, those things aren't necessarily that it's, it's like what is his whole history of every single patient he's ever had. And the lady gets up from her desk and she walks down the hallway. So this long hallway. And I'm thinking, where is she going? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so I walk up and she hands me, when she comes back, she hands me this clipboard full of all these pieces of paper that she wants me to hand write all of my private healthcare information, any ailments I may have had. Have you been diagnosed with this? Are you that? You know, all this stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, nah. No, no, <laughs> no, nope. nope. you can ask me these questions verbally and I'll tell you verbally, but I'm not filling this out. And she just looks at me like, why? And I said, okay, so my job is data security and I cannot fill this out and go to job, go to my work the next day and, and, you know, feel good about myself. So if you want to ask me questions and you want to put it in your computer that at least has a password protection, at least I hope, <laughs> then we can go no. with that. I said, but I don't want my data ending up on the, on that wall. We always store our records like this. I was like, oh my gosh. 20 years. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, I went to work actually. And I, I, I present every week. I present the three top breaches. Um, and unfortunately I'm backdated because I'm still in March of this year when I teach this every week. So I, I bring forward three breaches and I had to bring in this one. I'm like, okay, this one wasn't actually listed, but let me, let me ask you, what would you do if you did, if this happened to you? And they, they just thought I was telling a story and I'm like, no, this really happened. This, this really, is yeah, real. Like, like, yeah. So it's like, so what should we do? What do we do to fix that? Because you know, anybody could have walked in when she walked to the back of the office, I could have walked in and grabbed a handful of those files and been out the door and she wouldn't have noticed. She wouldn't have Easily. known. Yeah, exactly. And if they had cameras, you know, half the time they're not on or they're yeah. not recording or, you know, they had to be right there. They're, they don't have a DVR or they're not backing it up to whatever so that they can replay it. So it depends on what their technology is, if they're even capable of having that kind of security system involved yeah. where there's, you know, this protected data kind of stuff just sitting. So you got to have barriers and, you know, levels of security and it's, it's never a one solution. It's not just the key to your front door. You know, it's the dog. It's, you know, what, what else are you doing? You put locks on your windows, you, you know, you, you protect things in your home. You have an alarm on your car. These are all layers of protection. And, you know, so that's the same thing with security, but the more layers you put in there, the more security steps that they'd have to get through. You want to make, you want to exhaust them before a hacker can ever get to it. You want to just like wear them out and make them guess. But here 
you make it so easy when it's just right there, 25 feet away from the front door. <laughs> yeah, so you have the gates, guards, and the guns, and all that sort of thing, plus what yeah. you mentioned from a personal perspective from a home. And uh, so it's not always just the digital layer, it could, you know, or just cyber, it could not just cyberspace, it's the physical security, environmental controls, the HVAC, you know, you know, mm -hmm. if, you're, if your uh, air conditioning goes out and your computer gear, your servers overheat, you could, you know, have a denial of service that you created on yourself by not managing your environmental controls or fire right. suppression, all, all kinds of things like that. So, I mean, we could talk about this forever, go down a lot of different rabbit holes, but I think, I know, right? I think we covered the gist and uh, just kind of a, a cover what we talked to. This is like the kind of light, like backyard business banter. So is there anything else you'd like to add in closing, Dawn? Will and so I'm back up to that a little bit, and okay, that's great. something that I think is worth mentioning. That when I have done um, the forensic document examination, um, most of the time um, it's usually a will. Wills are probably the number one thing that are that are forged, mm -hmm. and there's no laws against forging a will because you're not you're in probate court. You're not really in you know criminal court right? There's nobody's pressing charges because no crime has really been conducted at that time. So most of the time people get away with it. And when you bring in a forensic document examiner and the opposing party says, oh, wait a minute, I'll settle. That's the beauty of those kind of cases is when they realize that there's somebody there that can say whether or not you signed that document. But what's interesting is the technology behind it and the, you know, where are you storing this information? Most of the time people might have an electronic file of their will sitting on their computer on a folder on their desktop or it's not locked down or protected either. So these kinds of documents need to be in a password protected location on your computer. If you have to password protect a file, if you have to put it on a thumb drive that goes in a vault, there's gotta be protection around this kind of stuff. And then the signature that's on there, you know, that's the signature for each of us is really what your identity is to the world. That's your badge to the world. So your handwriting could be super sloppy and then you have this unique style to your signature and maybe it's legible, maybe it's not. That's kind of, you know, it's totally different characteristics than it is in your handwriting. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's people that can try and um, forge a signature that has a hard time because there's a personality that comes out in your handwriting and there's a lot of things that can't be um, faked. You can fake it for a little while, but you're going to, you're going to slip up. And the more that we can look at the, the samples of writing, the more we can say, yeah, so we can tell whether or not someone actually authenticated or actually signed that document versus this document or whatnot. So protecting your signature is also very important. You don't want to go and have the same signature out in the world that you sign your mortgage or your bank statements with. So I have a, I have a couple of different variations of my signature. So when I'm out in the public world, I use a scribble signature that nobody can really read. They don't, they wouldn't even guess who actually signed it. And then when I sign my legal documents, that's when I use my legal signature. And so nobody gets that signature. That's another important aspect too. I like that. Your identity. So I hear you, I hear you saying one's like a doctor's signature where it's scribbled. You can't read his writing. So it's just a scribble, you know? Yeah. So it's like one's a scribble on purpose, like a doctor's handwriting. And the other is your legal handwriting where it's carefully meticulously proven to be you and you know, you, you yep, uh, exactly. protect it that way. That's, that's a really good tip, Dawn. Yep. So you got to protect it all. You got everything you do is about your identity. 
There you go. All right, well, folks, well, thanks so much for coming on, Don. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Cyber, Cyber Show, but I'd like to encourage you to look on Millionaire Flicks here in the near future for Don's new show, tentatively titled The Fixer. And uh, just remember, folks, data is the new oil. Identity is the new gold. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate Talk being about here. about the Cyber Show. <laughs>